morning to the evening Complaints from the tenants Got the walls kicking like they six months pregnant Drinking Alize with our cereal for breakfast Girls calling cabs at dawn quarter to seven Sky's getting cold What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Just So You Know podcast. I am your host, Max Fusler, and it is the week, weekend of July 8th. And um, I'm not going to talk this week about the job numbers that came out, because what's the point? Uh, if you looked at it quickly, only 80,000 jobs were created in June. Um, 85,000 people went on disability. So just think about that right there. 80,000 jobs were created. And 85,000 people went going on disability. Uh, we're losing people who are supporting themselves. And we're gaining those who are being supported by the government. The unemployment rate remains stagnant at about 8.2%. Uh, what do you expect? The unemployment rate for African Americans is almost 15%. For Hispanics, it's 11%. It's fucking literally depressing. And when we were sold this bullshit bill from the last two presidents about billion-dollar bailouts to get the economy back in its ass, and it seems like what they meant was let's get Wall Street back on its ass. And this is where we are today. So I'm not going to harp on it. I'm going to move on to some other stuff. And something interesting I read this week, or at least I found it interesting, is that Google will begin to, I guess starting this week, pull results from their shopping queries that has anything to do with guns, ammunition, gun optics, and accessories. So ultimately what this means is that it's going to be harder for those looking to purchase firearms to do so. And my first immediate thought when reading this is, how, how fucking stupid is this? I don't think I'll ever own a gun. If I move to the country or suburb, I think the best defense for a home is either a German Shepherd or a Doberman. But, you know, you never know in life. And if I were to get one, I would keep it very secure and locked away. I mean, I sort of get the expression, I'd rather have a gun and not need it than need a gun and not have it. And when you hear about these horrible home invasion tragedies, like the one that happened not too long ago in Connecticut, it makes you sort of wonder if it is worth it to have one. But regardless, why is Google blocking the results? That's just insane. I mean, do they think that that, that because they're blocking them from shopping results, people will give up their pursuit of weapons? I think those that are looking to get a firearm for nefarious purposes are unlikely to do so through a Google search and purchase. So what are you really blocking? And I think it's a deeper issue with Google for me, you know? They're sort of looked at as a more open option to software, especially in regards to Apple, where people dislike the fact that Apple's mobile and tablet software, iOS, is very closed off, and Google's software, Android, is touted as very open and a non-censored alternative. And um, and a side note, in my mind, they, Android is a complete ripoff of iOS, but that's a different argument altogether, one that if there's listener interest, I will make at some point but let's look at some of google's choices okay so now you can't get uh ammo results in their shopping queries or gun results pornography searches have long been sort of censored in that if you start looking for a particular term like blowjob or fist fuck or cream pie the instant results immediately turn off which i sort of get but you can't even type in the name of an adult film star as soon as Google figures out you're looking for said star, the instant results shut off immediately. And trust me, it's overly cautious, which can be annoying. And as you can tell, I've had a lot of experience testing this, obviously, for journalistic purposes, of course. <clears throat> also, um, let's not forget that for years, for years, Google censored its search results to whatever the government pleased in China. 
So forget about porno stars. Results mentioning Tiananmen Square were routed to results the communist government approved. Finally, in 2009, Google sort of said enough's enough, and they probably like everyone to believe that this was due to them being freedom-loving uh, techies, but I think it was more to do with them being sick of their servers being attacked by Chinese-based hackers. And they basically said, stop it, or we'll stop censoring and just block your country altogether. So it wasn't about freedom, okay? And here's my point. Google is far and away the number one search engine in the world. And in the U.S. And they need to let people look for and find what they like. Whether that's nine double M's or 38 double D's. It's not their job to be the thought police. If they want to keep the image of open software, letting users access whatever they like, uh, then be that open. I talked about this in the past, but it literally took me two minutes uh, a couple months ago to find the snuff film of the Canadian porno star murdering his Asian lover. And the results to the name of the film, One Lunatic, One Ice Pick, came up in the instant search that would block Jenna Jameson. You can't allow that and then not allow people to look at boobs and guns. I'm sorry. You can't do that. And uh, something here's something else that came out this week, and I bet a lot of people missed it because you had to be looking pretty hard to find this story. But basically, this is really cool. In the U.K., divers who had been working with science teams from St. Andrews University have found what can only be described as the UK version of Atlantis. It's known as Doggerland, which was an island that stretched from Scotland to Denmark and sunk sometime between 15,000 and 18,000 BC. It's quite possible that at one time this land was the heartland of Europe and had tens of thousands of people living on it. Now, evidently, what happened here is Doggerland was sometime hit by a tsunami and started to go under uh, over the course of thousands of years, and it just kept sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And again, I go back to the global warming argument that I made last week. We act like we have a fucking clue what's going on, and we don't. Here's this huge stretch of land that was sunk like 17,000 years before an automobile inhibited the Earth, before carbon emissions ever started, and all that shit. So just take a step back and think about that before you blame warm this, this warm summer particularly, on cow shit or cow farts. And let me just give some context to the breadth of this discovery. Doggerland is bigger than most European countries. That's how big this land was. And what's also really interesting is Richard Bates, one of the scientists um, from the university, basically came out and said, and I'll quote him here, people think rising sea levels are a new thing, but it's a cycle of the Earth's history that has happened many times before. And now what these scientists are really uh, trying to understand is who inhibited this land, how many people were there, what was their main resources. Um, so they're really trying to figure out, A, what was Doggerland, and B, what really happened to it. And for the record, when I first saw this story, I wasn't thinking, oh, well, here's another little piece of information that makes you wonder about global warming. No, I was reading it because I think it's really fucking cool. But then again, you look at it, and here's more research uh, from scientists just confirming that the Earth and nature are very strange. And it's hard to sort of pin down any type of prediction. But it is a very cool story, and one that I thought uh, some of you might be interested in looking further into. Now, finally, a couple weeks back, we talked about the trouble that Greece was facing. The economic crisis that that nation is staring down. They are in serious, serious, serious shit. And it's only getting worse. They're expected later this week to unveil what they're calling alarming data to debt inspectors. And trust me, 
This was a country that was hiding their troubles for years. So if they say they have alarming data to unveil, it's got to be bad. I mean, that's sort of like Charles Manson going to the police and saying, I think I might have hurt some people over uh, in Beverly Hills back in 1969. And they're expected to claim that the austerity that they promised to institute has not worked. And they're going to ask for another bailout package. You know, because when Amex calls you and says, hey, buddy, you owe us 25K and you know you're broke, what do you do? Well, the, the answer is obviously to hang up the phone and go shopping at Barney's immediately. But now we learn that France is jumping into the fray. It was sort of obvious that France was in trouble. And if you look at the way the European Union nations operate, retire early, free health care, high taxes for the rich, welfare for everyone else, it's obvious that the system would collapse. So France comes out this week and the new president, Francois Hollande, 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 I don't really give a fuck how to pronounce it, but he's two months on the job, by the way. He's saying that the auditors have told him that the French economy is in crisis and at the peak of a major debt spiral. No shit, Sherlock. And of course, uh, when you're in a union, that is to say, you don't just act within the confines of your government. There are union rules and union budgets. And by 2013, France is saying that they will be about 33 billion euros over their budget. The budget that's in line with the EU standards. And my guess is the same way when you ask your girlfriend or boyfriend how many people they slept with before you. And they say, well, three or four. And that means like 20. I bet you the 33 billion euro that they're claiming they're going to be over budget is going to be about 50 billion euro. So now, this guy was elected. He barely was elected uh, over Nicolas Sarkozy because he made all these socialist promises and bold claims. And now, you know, who knows what's going to happen with them. Now, he is planning on making good on his pre-election promise of raising the minimum wage. And again, I want to I want to talk about this because people think that is so harmless. Uh, you know, what does it hurt to give low-level workers three more dollars an hour? And I've had so many people say this to me, and I, I, that's why I want to talk about it. And again, I want to guarantee you most of the people who make this argument have never owned a small business. But let's do a little exercise, okay? One that I think you'll find fun and engaging. Let's say I own the Maxim Muffin Corporation, okay? And the Maxim Muffin Corporation makes muffins, obviously. And I have $50 set in stone to pay the people who mix the batter, bake the muffins, you know, to do the, a lot of the work for my company. Now, most of them are college kids and entry-level professionals. So I have $50. That's the most I can spend. I thought I'd have 100 but I didn't count them being anally raped by federal, state, and city taxes let alone uh, property tax on the building I could barely afford because my father left me an inheritance, but 50% of it was taken by the government via the death tax, and I can barely make ends meet because I live in a building where I have to pay out the ass for my apartment because the landlord has to overcharge me to offset all the money he's losing on the rent control apartment he's forced to keep renting at prices way below market value to 80-year-old widows and rich socialists who, you know what, let me, let me get off of that. But anyway, I have $50 an hour. And that's a strict budget, okay? Because let's say the minimum wage is $10 an hour. So I've reasoned I can pay five people an hour, right? I can have five people on my staff at the minimum wage. So what happens? Well, the government steps in and says, nonsense, that's unfair. Even though we know nothing about your business, your situation, or your worker situation, it just doesn't sound fair. Pay them $13 an hour or close up shop. Well, okay. Now, I told you I can afford $50 an hour. If I have to pay more, I can do one of three things, right? What can I do? I can raise the prices of my muffins, 
which will hurt my small business, but we also have to compete with major grocery chains who have lobbyists and pay politicians thousands of dollars in donations. So if I did that, I'd probably have to go into debt and shut my business down, which means all of my workers lose their job. I can take no profit. This is the second thing I can do. I can take no profit, but most small businesses don't turn profits for years. They have to keep reinvesting, and if they're lucky, eventually they do turn a profit. So I can go into the red because I've already budgeted for no profit, or finally I can do what most businesses do. I can cut two workers, and then my payroll is $39 an hour, which I can't afford. If I want to cut it really close, I can lose one of my workers, and my payroll then would be $52 an hour. Still over budget, but not a disaster. But what happens when I do that? Because please remember, there's a consequence to every action. Well, now I only have three and a half workers on my payroll versus five. Let's say I didn't fire two, but I cut one's hours. That makes my payroll $45 an hour. Now I have one person who's actually making less money because their hours got halved because the federal government decided they wanted to help them. And now everyone has to work a lot harder to pick up the slack. One person I fired, right? They're on their own. One person now has their hours cut in half, and everyone has to work much harder in the same amount of hours. Now, the people that stayed on, they work 35-hour weeks. They got a $3 non-merit-based increase, which is another $105 a week. After the state, Fed, and city take their piece, the workers left with about an extra $2 an hour. So that comes to an extra 70 bucks a week apiece. That leaves one and a half people unemployed, Two of my entry-level employees are in high school, so they have extra money to buy Taco Bell, Young Jeezy CDs, and Bubblegum Kush. And the other is a hard worker with a family of four looking to work his way up in the company. His $70 means he can hopefully afford a bit more food and some clothing for his children, which I'm not minimizing. But is it worth it? And remember, I just have a tiny muffin business. What happens when you apply this to businesses across the entire country? This is the government and politicians so far removed from the fucking facts deciding A, what's best for my employees, B, what's best for my business, C, what's best for me and my family, and D, what's best for the consumer and the prices that we're forced to charge. But boy, it sounds great, doesn't it? We're raising the minimum wage. Round of applause. The people at the bottom of our society need to be protected from the greedy business owners. More applause. When you really step back and look at things, it's not as clear or as benevolent as it looks. Everything comes at a cost. And don't say, boy, you really exaggerated that situation, Max. No, I haven't. I have multiple friends who have small businesses. And my father had an employment agency in the 80s. This is all firsthand. I learned this by seeing it, not hearing what a politician whose only motive is to be elected by naive people told me. And I bring that back to the fantasy world that Europe is in. Here Greece is sunk, and they're crying, Austerity is not working, we need more bailout money. France is on the brink, and they're saying, We need to raise the minimum wage, that'll help things out. When does reality set in? And when it does, will it genuinely be too late? We're not that far away from this. I'm sorry, but we're not. We're just not. And I beg you to pay attention to what's going on. And don't just assume because a paper says it, or a politician says it, that it's true. Research it from multiple point of views. Read the Communist Manifesto and Capitalism and Freedom. Watch Bill O'Reilly and Bill Maher. Visit the Drudge Report and the Huffington Post for news. And then make your own decisions. You were given reason for a reason. 
It's time to use it. We need a country where everyone is informed and ready to hold leaders accountable for their claims and actions. Finally, my recommendation for this week, and I will let you know if said item is ever, ever sent to me or gives to me, this one isn't. This one I paid for. I bought it. It's a product I like. But you know when it gets hot out, in my mind, there are only two or three types of wine to drink. Rosé is ideal. I don't do red in the summer, but if I do, it's usually a uh, Beaujolais because it's fruity and you can chill it down a, a while before you drink it. So it's refreshing and generally has almost like a big candy taste. Sometimes you get really nice notes of banana in, in that wine. But I also really enjoy Sauvignon Blanc in the summer and the Portuguese very low alcohol wine, uh, Vino Verde, which is very nice and effervescent, refreshing and light. And so normally I would not recommend a Riesling, which is my favorite type of wine in the summer because it can be too sweet and cloying. Uh, to me, it's more a full and spring wine to be enjoyed with food like pork chops, sausage, or uh, Indian or Asian food. And I love it with pork bought me, by the way. It goes amazingly with that. You know, the Vietnamese barbecue sandwiches on French bread. But I'm going to recommend this week, uh, my recommendation of the week is a low-alcohol Riesling called Frisk. Um, I enjoyed the 2011 bottling of this wine. It's produced in Australia's Victoria Valley. And Australia is not the usual place for Riesling, which is, uh, it's for the most part, Riesling is a German, sometimes Austrian, a little bit in the U.S. wine. And this wine, this Frisk Riesling, is about $13 a bottle. It's 8% alcohol, so it's, you know, really mellow. Not too sweet at all. It's got plenty of apple and pear notes. And then in the finish, there's this awesome sort of like lemon sorbet um, end note. It's light, it's citrusy, it's perfect for the patio on a hot summer night. I think it would be an ideal pairing for like pad thai or some chili naan or Vietnamese barbecue. I actually had it um, with Vietnamese barbecue Cornish hen with sticky rice and sweet chili sauce and it was fucking perfect. So it shouldn't be too hard to find. I believe they produced a lot of this wine uh, and I highly recommend it. Every week I talked about this in the past, I'm going to do a recommendation of just something that I really like that I think people should go out there and try. Um, you know, last week it was a film. This week it was a wine. Next week it's a restaurant. I think I'm going to talk about a restaurant I really like uh, that's pretty new to Manhattan. Uh, and, you know, books, different things that, you know, again, not things that I'm advertising. I will let you know if I'm ever advertising anything. I'll be thrilled if this podcast gets to the point where I'm advertising things. But I would never advertise bullshit. I only advertise stuff I like there. With that said, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Just So You Know podcast. We are here every Sunday, sometime between 3 and 7 p.m. on SoundCloud. All the episodes are backed up on iTunes. You can find them all by typing in my name, Maximilian Hussler, in iTunes, and you can find all the podcasts there. I hope you have a great week. Nothing horrible happens to your family or you. And we'll be back next Sunday with a brand new show. Yay! Seeing in the morning, too damn raw. Ain't no nigga worth a holdin'. Ain't no nigga that she holdin'. Man, I love is too damn for it. Look at all that money. The money is the money. Is all that money? The money.
Girl, put in work, girl, girl, put in work.